This morning we're in Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter number 15, and uh, this series is winding down. We've got uh, today's lesson, one more lesson next Sunday on unpacking the Christian life. Today's lesson is a tremendous lesson on repentance, and this is a lesson that honestly I might bring back around to our entire church family in the days ahead. I've had so many people that have asked me over the last probably six months or so, there's this uh, theological debate going around now about repentance. And uh, now it's it, it, the, w- what they're trying to bring up is this matter of repentance in the area of salvation. In other words, is repentance necessary for salvation? Anybody in here heard any, any kind of little comments at all about that? Maybe some of you haven't had to deal with it yet. Maybe it's because I'm a pastor and I've had people just asking me things. But repentance is something, we, according to the Word of God, there must be a, a turning away from, a repenting. We'll talk a little bit about what repentance is in our lesson this morning. But we're going to use the passage this morning uh, for our, our text, uh, what oftentimes we call the story of the prodigal son. Ms. Maylene's wondering who the new pastor is. And so the lesson is entitled today, Comeback Kids. Because remember, this was a story, and I'm not going to take the time to read the whole story this morning. Most of us are well acquainted with the fact that there was a father. This is, remember, there, it was tucked right in there with the parables of the, the hundred sheep, and of course the ninety and nine, and the one sheep, and of course then you've got the lost coin, and then you have the story of what the Bible calls the prodigal son. I really, over the years, have come to feel in my heart, and I know this is true, that that story is not about that son. The story is really about the father. It's about the love of the father for the son, the erring one. And the Bible tells us that he had two sons, in, and so it, the story goes that the, the one son comes to his dad, and he basically asked him for his inheritance. It wasn't his right to ask for it. But nonetheless, he came and he asked for it. And the Bible says he divided unto them in Luke 15 and verse number 11 and 12. The younger said, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together, took his journey into a far country. And here's, here's what the Bible tells us. He wasted his substance with what kind of living? riotous living. And a lot of people are living that way today, just riotous living, just uh, spending money frivolously, just blowing money, uh, buying things that they don't need. And the Bible says when he spent, notice the word, when he had spent all, he, he didn't have a nickel to his name. He spent every last thing he had and it was all gone. And the Bible says when that happened, notice after it was all gone, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Isn't it interesting? He got to the place where no longer did he have any resources, and then comes a famine, and it says he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country where he was, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. If you're not familiar, in other words, in the Greek it means pig, all right? And the Bible says here he would have would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. That's different than the story we heard about the, the, the good Samaritan. No one would give this man that was starving, that had nothing. No one would give anything to him. And notice what it says, when he came to himself. 
See, that's what happens is when we get to where we can't go any lower, we realize, okay, we've hit rock bottom. And the Bible says when he got to that place, he, he made this realization. He said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise, go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. So he, he got his story down. He, he decided, hey, this is what I'm going to do, because none of my father's servants are starving to death. You know what David said in the Psalms? David said, I've, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Do you know that God, as your father, would never let you starve to death? He'd never let you be in want beyond what God may be working in your life, trying to get you to see. And so as we think about this this morning, uh, and, and we use that illustration of that son, that prodigal, the one that wandered away from home, away from his father, away from all the blessings of life, I want to talk to you about being a comeback kid, because if you haven't already experienced this in your life, chances are you probably will, or you probably will know someone who will find themselves in the same situation that this prodigal son found himself in. And you know, the illustration I was thinking about as I was thinking about starting the lesson this morning was this. Do any of you remember, now I know some of us might have to reach back farther, do any of you ever remember when you first learned how to ride a bicycle? Do you remember that? And do you remember that the first time you got on it, you didn't do well? As a matter of fact, if you were like me, you probably fell a few times. Uh, some of you may have been uh, born and, and rode a bike or tried to ride a bike, learned to ride a bike before they had something called training wheels. I, don't, I didn't have training wheels on my bike. Uh, I, the, the honest truth was, and, and if he was here, I'd, I'd have my dad stand right here. My dad took me to a hill on the side of our house. It was a street. And in the Midwest, what they would do is, I don't know what the streets originally were paved out of asphalt or some type of material, but they would come through every summer because it was cheaper to do it that way, they would, they would actually spray tar on the roads, and then they would throw pea gravel on top of the tar. Anybody else ever experienced that as a kid growing up? That, that's how they would do the roads where I lived. And so what would happen is, in the summertime, that as it rained and things like that, cars driving on the roads, a lot of that gravel would work itself loose, and it would work its way over into the curbs, of the streets, and so you'd have a lot of that loose little pea gravel in the, in the actual, uh, whatever you call it, alongside the road there where the water was supposed to run down. And, and so a lot of times it'd be a lot of loose gravel over it. So as long as you were on the road, you were fine. But if you got over by the curb, it got kind of tricky, especially someone who's trying to learn how to ride a bicycle, navigate a bicycle. And I remember that my dad took me up to the hill and my dad put, like every loving father would do for his child, my dad put me on that bicycle, and he, he got me going, and then he let me go. I'm serious. My dad let me go, 
And, and, and for a while, I was, you know, I was kind of shaky like this. And then I was like, hey, I'm doing it. I'm doing, you know, and I, I'm going down. And the truth was, I really, I don't even know if I was pedaling, but I had managed to keep the bike up and I was doing real well. And, and I started to drift over towards the curbing of the street where all that loose gravel was. And my tire got in that loose gravel, and next thing I know, I was laying in the street, and I remember I was, you know, I wasn't doing a boy thing. I was crying like a little girl, and I mean, I was hurt big time, and, and I was, my dad came down, and we were picking that little pea gravel out of my knees, out of my elbows. It was a mess, you know, and, and I thought to myself, you know, right then and there, that's it. I will never ride a bicycle again in my life. Guess what I did? I got back on the bike. And guess what I did? I fell again. And guess what I did? I got back on the bike. And guess what I did? I fell again. And, and I, over and over and over again, I learned how to ride a bike. Can I tell you, when you think of the Christian life, as, as the spiritual life goes, just like that riding a bike, we need to get back up when we fall and, and get on the spiritual bike. Uh, learn to, to say, look, I'm not done with the Christian life. Uh, I, I need to get back up and get back into fellowship with the Lord. That Listen, a, as we fall in our lives, and we will, when those times come, it's not an option. We must get back to our relationship with the Lord. And it, it could be as simple as this prodigal son that he said, look, he says, I, I found myself in this situation. I have fallen off my bike. But hey, I, things are good back home with my dad. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back there. See, joyful Christians are quick to humble themselves and to confess their sins. Look at Proverbs 24, 16. A just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. So I want to give you this matter of repentance this morning. And I think this is key in our lives. Listen, I, I've taught a lot of lessons that I believe have been helpful in here over the last 11 weeks, but today's lesson is a lesson that you need to take to heart, not because you're a sinner, but I'm going to tell you something. All of us, as long as we're in this flesh, we're going to deal with things in our lives, and we have got to be good at repenting. Now, that doesn't mean, hey, once saved, always saved, so I can do what I want, live how I want. There's a lot of people that live that way and they say, well, I got to get out of jail free card. First John 1 9 is in the Bible. No, no, no. That's not what I'm talking about this morning. But I am saying that when we do fall, that we can go to God and we can make things right. How many of you want to keep things right between you and the Lord? Okay. And I hope that's everyone's heart this morning. So I want to share with you or explore four questions. And that's how I worded them this morning. They're questions about repentance so that we can learn how to be spiritual comeback kids, all right? In other words, get back on the bike and get back to the Christian life, get back to fellowshipping with the Lord. So question number one is simple. What is repentance? What is repentance? Now, uh, again, there's a lot of confusion about it. Can I tell you some things this morning, and, and, and maybe you thought some of this, can I tell you some things that repentance is not? Okay, let me start there. Repentance is not guilt. It's not shame or condemnation. Okay? That is, that is not what God does to us. God doesn't guilt us. He doesn't shame us. God doesn't condemn us. Matter of fact, Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation 
to them that are in Christ. If there's ever any guilt or any shame or condemnation, it's not God, it's us. We're, we're shaming ourselves, we're guilting ourselves. Uh, how about this? Repentance is not regret or remorse or self-abasement. What God is looking for, can I tell you this morning, God's not looking for emotion, sad emotion. What God is looking for this morning, when we do fall, God's looking for a humble heart. God's looking for somebody who wants to make things right with him instead of just being sad. You know, you see it all the time on the news. Somebody, somebody gets caught doing a crime. And you see them on the news a lot of times. You see the emotion, the sad emotion. Folks, that's not repentance. That's remorse. They feel bad. But here's the thing is, they feel bad, but they don't feel bad about it enough to make a change in their lives which is what really repentance is, okay? Because many of those, and you check track records, the vast majority of people that commit crimes, guess what they do when they get out? They go, go commit another crime. Because they, this matter of rehabilitate. See, man cannot rehabilitate himself. The only answer for mankind is Jesus. It's always been the answer. Can I also tell you that repentance is not penance, it's not payment or punishment. Okay. Remember, Jesus paid it all, right? Jesus said, all, it is finished. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid for all sins, past, present, and future. I'll say this, repentance is not asking forgiveness over and over and over and over again. Because remember, the Bible describes Jesus as the propitiation for our sins. You know what the word propitiation means? satisfaction. In other words, the death of Jesus Christ, it completely satisfied a holy and just God. So repentance is not, look, asking for forgiveness over and over and over again, because when we ask God for forgiveness, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness, right? He forgives us of all sins. Uh, repentance is not regaining or reclaiming our salvation. Folks, you, look, once you're saved, he gave you what kind of life? Everlasting, right? Eternal life. How long is everlasting or eternal? It's forever. Who gave you that life? Did you give it to yourself? Yeah, God gave it to you, right? So you can't be unborn as a Christian. So understand this morning that when we repent, it's not reclaiming our salvation because we've never lost it, right? You can't lose your salvation. I hope all of us understand that this morning. So notice letter A, the definition of repentance. The Bible describes in the book of Revelation, and we used this last week, of one of those churches in verse 19 of chapter 3, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous therefore, and repent. Now, did you hear what Jesus said to the churches? He says, if I love you, I'm going to deal with you. In other words, God's not going to let us, you or me, sin as his child successfully. If we do something, remember, all sin, as Joseph said, is ultimately against God. If we do something wrong, then God says that I will rebuke you, I will chasten you, and he says, be zealous. Now, the word zealous means that we need to be moved with desire. In other words, to have a desire to not do something that is not pleasing to God. 
So when he says there, be zealous and repent, the word repent or repentance, here's what it literally means. It means to think differently. Now, okay, differently than what? If, I, if I'm living a life of sin, and, and, and so that's my thought pattern, that's what I'm thinking. He says, that's, what, that's my thoughts. He says to repent means to think differently than the way I'm living right now. In other words, turn from the life of sin that I'm living in. This is why he says here that we need to be zealous and repent. It's acknowledging our wrong thinking, the wrong kind of living, and then it, it's accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as our, as our Savior, if we're not saved, but it's also going back to our relationship, our fellowship with the Lord. It's a, a submission to the truth. Did you hear what I said this morning? Remember Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall do what? Yeah, the truth shall make you free, right? So as we submit ourselves to the truth in, in this area of repentance, guess what's going to happen? We submit ourselves to truth. Now watch this. It no longer is it my thinking, your thinking. It's the Word of God. And it's the Word of God that's quick and powerful, that, that brings about the change in a person's life. I had, a, I had an interesting thing the other day. My wife got a phone call here at the church, and this young man or you know whoever it was, called and, and said he wanted to talk to the pastor, and, and my wife asked me, and so I got on the phone with him. I tried to ask him what he needed, what he wanted, and he said, I, I, I need to come by and talk to you. I can't tell you over the phone. And I said, okay, that's fine. <laughs> so um, I, he says, are you going to be there? I said, yes, I'll be here at church. So he came by. He walked in the door. He had, he had uh, some lady, young lady with him. He wasn't a very old gentleman. And, and so when he walked in the door, I said, how you doing? He said, okay. And I said, uh, how can I help you? And he says, well, can we go talk? And I said, well, we can talk right here. And he says, well, can, can we go to the office? And I said, we can talk right here. And, uh, and, and so he, he kind of looked at me and I said, Is, you can't talk to me right here? And, and for some reason he wanted to go to an office and I, there was nobody here. My wife was working, she had the door closed, she was in the office. And this, uh, he kind of looked over at this young lady that was with him, and then she said something like, I'll, I'll go outside. So I don't know why she really came in with him, but nonetheless she did. Then she went back outside, and so I'm looking at this guy like, okay, what's, what's the deal? And he begins to tell me, you know, in so many words, I, he says, I'm struggling with my life, what to do. I've been having these thoughts and all this stuff. Look, folks, immediately, you know, what I started to do was I started to ask him if he knew Christ as the Savior. Because that's where it all begins. You know, I went right to the truth. Because the thing is, is that, look, I, I would have took all the time I needed to, but I didn't need to spend 40 hours with this young man. I just needed to go to the truth because it's the truth. And, and sometimes when we're thinking wrong and we're living wrong, what we need to do is be confronted with the truth. See, a, a real friend will tell you the truth. And that truth will confront you. Now, watch this. When we're confronted with the truth, we have two options. We can either accept that truth or we can reject it. And if we accept it, then guess what we're going to do? We're going to change our thinking. We're going to repent. Are you guys with me this morning? This is so elemental, but it's so key in our lives because, look, we are saved 
our old man has been crucified with Christ, but our new, new nature, listen, we have that divine nature, but we're still living in the flesh. And every day, that's the struggle, the battle that we have. So when, when, when our thoughts start to go astray, you know, when, when we fall, we need to get up and we need to get back to our relationship with the Lord. Well, how do we do that? We repent and it's the truth that leads to change. Uh, Paul says in 2 Timothy, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. That's the way that young man was I talked to. It was like he was opposing himself by the very lifestyle that he was trying to live. And the Bible says, if God peradventure will give them repentance. Now look at this, repentance to the acknowledging of the what? Of the truth. See, the truth brings about that need to repent. For saved people, repentance, you know what it is? This morning in Sunday school, this morning in the service, it's listening to the Holy Spirit of God. And it's not only listening, but it's agreeing with Him. Okay, God, I see what you're saying, and I agree with that. That's why we use the word in our church called amen. That's a Bible word. That means I agree. We agree. So what is repentance? It's listening to the Holy Spirit, which is God. Then it's agreeing with the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, it's allowing the Holy Spirit to change your thinking, which ultimately will change the way you live your lives. Do you get it this morning? So very important that we do that. So look, at here's, here's three things I wrote down here acknowledging sin, that again is to agree with God about your sin. Look, that young man, I don't know if I helped him, but the one thing I asked him three or four or five or six times about sin, and what he was doing was he was categorizing sin. That's what we do sometimes. We try to put sin in certain categories uh, to where we have, there's big sins and then there's little sins. All sin is sin. You can categorize it however you want, but we have to acknowledge that that is something that's wrong. I mean, I said something to him about if you went into a store, oh, I know the, the one I use. I said, so if, if you're out, out in our community and you're driving 65 miles an hour and the speed limit says 50, is that a sin? And he looked me straight in the face and said, no. I said, yeah, you're a typical South Florida driver, you know? But I told him, I said, doesn't the sign say 50 on it? He goes, yeah. I said, you're exceeding the speed limit. That's a law of the land. That's a sin. And then he kind of looked at me and I saw the light starting to go on a little bit. We have to acknowledge sin. Then secondly, remember, we we understand the Holy Spirit's showing us, then we need to confess it. Look, we have to admit it before God. Remember, you're, you're, you're dealing with God. God knows everything about you, and it, yeah, and here's the thing is, you can't hide things from God. You can't try to justify it with God. You can't ignore it with God. You know, it, it, you have to acknowledge it, you have to confess it, and then thirdly, you have to forsake it. You have to make a conscious choice of the will that you are going to be dead to that sin. I don't want that in my life. That is what repentance is. It's the act of taking responsibility for my sin. You know, it's like, uh, in, uh, I think uh, the deacons are in here, and, and this isn't in my notes. I'm not picking on them, but I don't even know where it's at. But the, the head coach of the Ohio State, 
uh, there was some kind of scandal with one of his, I think, assistant coaches or something. And, uh, and I, again, I haven't read the whole story, but uh, they, there was something going on. And they, if, you, if you have knowledge of it and you don't do something, that was, that was his sin. It wasn't that he did it. It was that he had knowledge of it. You understand, like even in our church, if there's something going on at our church and I as the pastor or someone here has knowledge of it and they just sweep it under the rug, which is, by the way, what our politicians do all the time, uh, do you know that you're just as guilty? And, and so I don't know if, did he resign? Is he is still going on, I guess? I don't know. Finally, I, I think after... Uh, you know, after the st story broke, it, it was almost like uh, his story changed a little bit to the place, well, yeah, I kind of knew a little bit, and I told some folks, but nothing happened. So in other words, he, he realized, I kind of got my, and I'm not saying Urban Meyer's a bad guy, I'm just saying that we have to, we have to understand that what repentance is, it's the act of taking responsibility for our sins. Do you know the verse? for the wages of sin. See, there's always a price tag when we do something wrong. There's always a price attached. I told that young man on, on Friday, I said, if you left here and you went to the store and you walked into the store, any store, and you, you picked up a few items and walked out but didn't pay for it, I said, what do you think would happen? And you all can pretty much guess his answer. And I said, that there's a wage, a price to pay. And that's the problem with sin. See, the fact is, listen, this is important. Repentance, repentance doesn't generate a life change. Repentance doesn't generate a life change, but here's what it does do. It brings us, when I and you repent of our sin, it brings us to a place where change is possible by the Holy Spirit of God. See, we have to put ourselves in that place where change is possible, all right? And so we, we need to understand what repentance is, but look at letter B, what is the result of repentance? Now, do you remember in the Old Testament, and, and when you got it even over in the New Testament, the book of Acts, uh, and Jesus dealt with this in the gospel records, the nation of Israel, especially the leadership of Israel, that the, they were described as a people that were stiff-necked. Uh, I love some of the wording in the Bible. Uh, the word stiff-necked means prideful. They were arrogant. And when you think about the result of repentance, that many times it's the, the need for repentance is because of our pride, because of the blame-shifting, the lying. Look what Jeremiah said about Israel. He said, they obeyed not, neither inclined their ears, but made their neck stiff, that they might not hear nor receive instruction. Sometimes people come to church, and they don't come to church to receive instruction from God. They come to church just to check off on their list. I've been to church this week. Do you know that every time you come to church, you should come expecting, God, what would you have for me? What would you want to teach me today? What would you want me to do with my life? But see, many times what we do is we love our sin, we're so self-willed that when God tries to deal with us by His Holy Spirit, here's what we do. We push back. Remember what the, what the Lord said to Saul of Tarsus? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. 
that wording there is where, and I know that nowadays the animal activists would really get a hold of this, but they used to take a, uh, a, a long pole with, with like a three-pronged uh, fork on the end of it, and they would, they would stand far enough behind these oxes, not a musk ox, but oxes, and they would actually, when they couldn't get the animal to go, they would actually go like that to the backside of it. They would goad it, and they would prick it. And that's what the Holy Spirit, when we, when we sit and hear truth, and we're living in a way that is in opposition to God, and our thinking and our living is opposed to God, then guess what God's Holy Spirit does? He picks up one of those goads, and he goes, and, and look, we feel it. We're like, you know, it, we don't say it out loud. The Holy Spirit's dealing with me about this because it's in my life. It doesn't belong my... And so here's what we do. We kind of do one of those things. Just like that ox. Leave me alone. You know what you're saying to God when you do that? I'm happy living in my sin. But remember what the prodigal said? He was eating the swine's food. He wasn't real happy. And the Bible says he came to himself. You know why? Because he started to think about his father started to think about the goodness of God. And this is the real dangerous place because here's what happens is, is we start to think we've gone too far to where, God, where we think God would never let us come back, right? Uh, the, boy, the, the Lord doesn't know. God knows everything. God knows what you've done. He knows where you've been. And, and understand that when that moment comes, we need to turn back to God. See, sin is pleasurable for a season. The flesh doesn't die easily. The flesh loves to do things that it shouldn't do. We've talked about Paul in Romans 7. We tend to argue with God. We, we, we are experts at justifying our sins. Somehow we always find a way around the sin that we're doing in our lives, somehow we make it okay. I mean, folks, listen, whether you agree with it or not, it doesn't matter because this is not coming for me, but drinking alcohol is not of the Lord. It, the Bible is clear. And yet we find so many times Christians, many Christians today, here's what they'll say is, well, I only drink socially. But you drink it is in opposition, and, and I always get it all the time. Well, Jesus went to the marriage supper in Canaan, and he turned the water into wine. Study the Bible. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, would have never contradicted his own word. There are many words in the Bible that the word wine is translated. When you study it out, there is different forms. It, it oftentimes could be fresh-squeezed juice. It could be where they would put some barley with it. It could be where they actually let it sit and ferment. Now, again, Jesus would have never created something that would cause somebody to become inebriated. So when, when you think about that, why would God contradict his own word? See, we have to understand that people oftentimes, what we do is we're experts. And here's why. Because we love our sin and so what we do is we somehow justify it's okay. So there's a lot of Christians today who say, well, look, I, just, I only drink on weekends. That's like saying God says, hey, it's okay to drink on weekends, just not Monday through Friday. Now, again, that, you may not like that, but understand, 
the scriptures are clear. The Bible says, where, uh, 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 be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. We need to allow the Spirit of God to control our lives. Folks, I've seen people that have been inebriated, that have been drunk, they can't, they slur their words, they can't, you lose control of yourself, your body. And what, here's what needs to happen, and, and I'm just using this as one example this morning, it could, be, it could be many different things. When we give ourselves over to the wrong kind of thinking, the wrong kind of living, we need to repent of that and turn back to the Lord. So we, we see the result here is, listen, the longer we resist God, the more the struggle is going to be, the colder we will grow towards God. Repentance is when the light of the truth comes into our hearts. In other words, let me put it this way. We see sin... As, as the truth comes into our hearts, we see sin for what it is. We see God for who he is. We see grace for what it is. And we run to Jesus acknowledging the truth. That's exactly what the prodigal son did. He realized where he found himself and what did he do? He went right back to the Father. He went right back to this relationship. So repentance is a change of mind that allows God to produce a change of heart. Let me say that again. Repentance is a change of mind that allows God to produce a change of heart. It's not turning over some new leaf. How many times have we made New Year's resolutions that last about one week? See, true repentance is a change of mind, change of heart, change of direction. All right? So look at the second question. What leads to repentance? Well, sometimes people think that uh, punishment and threat, threatening people. Uh, can I tell you, look, when, when there are threats to people, uh, they're doing something wrong. Can I tell you that that could lead to a surface repentance? You might see something on the surface, but it hasn't penetrated the heart. God wants to change our hearts. And so as a child of God, listen, the punishment concept that I'm talking about, you know, some people think, well, God's going to punish me if I do this or that. Look, punishment concept is a distorted view of God. It would mean that Jesus did not take all of our punishment, all of our sin when he died on the cross for us. Look what it says, and I mentioned this earlier, 1 John 2, 2. Jesus, he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus died for all of our sins, here in his love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son. That's how much he loved you, that he sent his son to be the satisfaction of God for our sins. God would never say to you or me as his child, you better repent of your sins or I'm going to punish you. That's not God. God doesn't do that. The grace of God, this is where we've got to get a hold of this morning in our lives and every day is the grace of God is the greatest motivator for this matter of repentance. It's the grace of God. Look at Paul said in Romans 2, or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God, look at the rest of the verse, leadeth thee to what? To repentance. You know what another word for the goodness of God is? The grace of God. That's what the goodness of God is. It's God's grace extended towards us. God doesn't desire forced repentance. God doesn't 
force us to repent. You know what he wants? He wants you of your own volition. Just like that prodigal son. I'm tired of this. I had things much better when I was in fellowship with my father. And I need to turn from this lifestyle and this thinking. Remember, it was all about him. Give me, give me, give me. And he says, look, I'll go back and I'll even be one of my father's servants. Do you remember the story? And they made a movie out of it. It's a real story about the uh, young man who was, uh, had such a tragic beginning in his life. I believe that uh, in his first nine years of school, he had been to 10 different schools. His name was Michael Orr. Uh, he's, they made the movie Blindsided or Blindside or whatever it is out of his life. He was a young man, a big guy. They called him Big Mike. And, uh, and, and here he was. It was a November day. It was cold outside. And there was a family driving down the road, and they passed him on the road in the rain. He was wearing a pair of shorts and a T-shirt. As they were driving by, the wife in the car saw the young man as he was walking down the street and it, her, it gripped her heart. Here's this young man out in the pouring down rain, cold weather, with no clothes, no umbrella. He looked like he didn't have a, one item to his name in the world. And she said to her husband, as they were passing this young man, she said to him, turn around. Now, most of us, if you've read the book or watched the movie, the young man, because of the Tui family, Leanne Tui was the one that asked her husband to turn the car around. The young man had a chance in life. The young man actually got an education. The young man went to college and he played football and did very well. And he was drafted by the Baltimore Ravens uh, NFL football team and, and played in the NFL. An amazing story. It just, I, I love stories like that because of the, the way that his life started and how well things turned out. But it, it all changed because of two words, turn around. His wife said, turn around to her husband. They turned the car around and got that boy. And you know, the same thing is true in your life and mine too. Those two words. Whatever you're doing, if it's not pleasing to the Lord, turn around. That's what repentance is. So we need to see this morning what leads to repentance. Notice number three, the third question is what hinders repentance. And I'll go through these rather quickly, but... I think there's a lot of things that keep us from repenting the way we should. Letter A, sometimes it's a love for sin. Love for sin. We love, we love ourselves more than we love Jesus. And sometimes that's the reason we don't repent. Letter B, sometimes it's pride and self-will. You know, we have a stubborn heart. And a stubborn heart remains trapped in idolatry. But you know what I love about God is He, he will persistently, we're talking about saved people now, God will persistently deal with us, chasten us to deliver us. Here's a good illustration of what I'm talking about here. Remember the story of Jonah? Jonah ran from the presence of the Lord, did he not? Now you look at that story, and when I first got saved and I read that, I didn't hear that growing up. A lot of you grew up in church, you heard the story when you were a little kid. And I used to think to myself, you know, I, I used to think, wow, that big, that big fish, that great fish, we oftentimes call it a whale. Do you know what that whale, that great fish really was in Jonah's life? It was the grace of God. You know what God did for Jonah? He saved Jonah from himself. 
because Jonah was going away from God, was he not? He was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. But you know what God did? God's grace brought about a directional change in Jonah's life when that great fish swallowed Jonah. Because remember, when he was in the belly of that fish, remember what he called it? And by the way, it was God's word that said, out of the belly of hell. That's what he called it. That's where people find themselves when they're out in sin. They have the wrong thinking, wrong living. Is that they come to the place just like the prodigal and Jonah says, listen, uh, I, think, I think I want to get things going in the right direction. And remember, the, the whale spewed him out, vomited him out. And when he hit the ground, guess what? He hit the ground running in the right direction, didn't he? <laughs> so folks, look, when I think about uh, this matter of why sometimes I think, I think pride and self-will keeps us from repenting, let her see, sometimes it's an ignorance of God's goodness. It's an ignorance of God's goodness. Look, sin is always hurtful, but the commands of God, they're not grievous, okay, folks? They're helpful. He's your father. He has your best interest in mind. Repentance is believing on the Lord and running to him, running back to him. And then look at another reason we don't repent is sin's pleasure because, look, if, if, if we don't repent, it, you know, if we don't love the Lord, then we're just going to stay in our sin. But here's what happens is that sin sometimes becomes just too painful. And all the times the pain of that sin, we hit rock bottom, and that's when we'll finally repent and turn back to God. So look, folks, we have to understand sometimes that we are hindered by uh, this matter of repenting. It's because we love our sin and pride in our lives. We're ignorant of God's goodness, and we just love what we're doing. We love the sin that we're in. So look at the last question is, what, why is repentance repetitive? Why is it repetitive? Well, again, you look in the Bible, what do you find? One of, the, one of the people that I like to study is John, the Apostle John. He was one of the closest friends to the Lord Jesus. He was the one that leaned on Jesus' breast. He was the one that loved the Lord. John, just like Peter and everyone else, his life was radically changed by the Lord. When he was older, he wrote, God allowed him to pen 1 John 2. Look at these first two verses, what John writes. My little children, these things write I unto you. Now he's writing to them. God's allowing this. All scriptures give my inspiration of God. But he's writing so that they would not sin. So watch this. Look what he says. That ye sin not, and if any man sin. So if it happens, if you do sin. Here's what John says. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. John is saying when we do sin, we've got an advocate. We've got a defense lawyer. We've got an attorney that every time we fall and get back up, guess what happens? He's standing in our corner. He's there for us. He's pleading our case to the Father. So look, we need to understand this matter of repentance, letter A, that victory will be incremental incremental. In other words, it will come in increments. Some days we'll gain some ground as a Christian, and guess what? Some days we're going to lose ground. Anybody ever done that before? Gain some ground, lose some ground. Take three steps forward and two steps back, right? It happens. By the way, that's normal, real Christianity. You know why? Because of the flesh and the devil's always fighting. 
And so, we, look, today you might take three steps forward and get knocked back two steps. Some days you might make more progress, and in other days it will be incremental, but don't be discouraged. Peter says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. To Him be glory now and forever. Amen. So victory will be incremental when we understand what repentance is. Look at number two, is victory will be seasonal. It'll be seasonal. God knows what He's doing and what He wants to do in your life and mine. And, and the way I look at it is, look, I know who I am, and can I tell you, if you're like me, there's still a whole lot of work ahead in my life. I'm a long way from being done. I mean, God's still got, He's still working on me uh, to make me what I ought to be, all right, as the children sing. So uh, Paul said it this way, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You know why? Because he's the potter. And I and you are the clay. The Lord is molding us. He's shaping us. God is the builder and you are the project. You're the project. Sometimes we do vacation Bible school like we did this past week. And you look around, you know, like this guy right here. I, when I was painting these things, I'm not a painter. And I got this out. I took a look at this picture of this thing. And I thought, I have no idea how to paint that. And so I painted the whole thing solid brown, and I thought, well, it looks like a big brown blob. And, and so then I took, up, I took some white out, and I threw a little white on there, and then I got some brown, and I, I put some white in the brown. I got a different color brown. Then I put some black in with that, and I got a different color. Then I threw in some red, and I just kept throwing it on there, and, and voila, that's what came out. And, I thought, and when I, I stepped back, I thought, well, it kind of looks like what it's supposed to look like. I kind of feel like that's my life. Is God just keeps doing a little this, little that, and I'm where I am today, but guess what? God's not done. He's still working on me and you. Look at letter C. Victory will not always be measurable. And, and here's the mistake. Sometimes we try to measure ourselves. And by the way, the Bible says that's foolish. But can I tell you that when you and I do try to measure ourselves, our measurements are always inaccurate. <laughs> Because we're using the, the, the wrong yardstick, the wrong ruler, right? What are we measuring ourselves by? Okay, well, you know what we need to do is keep our eyes on the Lord. Press toward the mark, the Bible says, uh, Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto who? Jesus, right? He's the author and finisher of our faith. So, look, victory will not always be measurable. And then letter D, victory will one day be final. The war, as you want to call it, the Christian life, the war has already been won. Now, on a small scale every day, again, we, we battle things daily, but can I tell you, on a grand scale, the war has already been won by King Jesus. You know, he's already won the victory. And we, we need to make sure that you and I understand we're on the winning side, thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So look, this morning, when you think about being a comeback kid, and, and maybe I'm only talking about to myself this morning, Maybe you don't struggle. Maybe you don't deal with things. Maybe you don't have wrong thinking, wrong living. Maybe there's no need of repentance in your life. But just like this prodigal, you and I, if we do fall, we need to get good at running back to the Lord, uh, coming back to the Lord. And what I love about it is, here's the story. When the son finally, remember what he did? He got his story straight. Here's what I'm going to tell my dad. If you go back and look at the passage in Luke 10, he never told his father his story. You know why? 
because when he started back, the father was looking down the road and his dad saw him coming and his dad ran to him with open arms and he hugged him, he kissed him, he put a robe on him, he put a ring on him, they killed the fatted calf. Hey, the father forgot about all that. You know, that's how good God is to us. No matter what we do, God still loves us. You know why? Because you and I are his children. And our father loves his children. So look, a righteous man or a righteous woman falleth seven times and riseth up again. Be a comeback kid, all right? God wants to use your life for his honor and for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Pray that you bless, Lord, as we try to live for you. Help us to understand what true biblical repentance is. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.